0: Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com.
1: That guy that's popular as can be that you see all over doesn't mean he's the best. He might have a lot on his plate, so he's not going to pay attention to your 1,200 square foot T-Mobile guy that wants to see it. So I would say be careful with using the big shots and just really try to fill the guy out. I mean, take him to dinner if you have to. Welcome to the best ever show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice
0: ever with none of the fluffy stuff.
2: Hello, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Ash Patel and I'm with today's guest, Pete Montgomery, Pete is a mentor and a good friend of mine, and he is based in Cincinnati. He is a broker of retail development at CMC Properties, which has owned and managed thousands of apartments, offices, and retail stores. Pete's forte is in prospecting and signing commercial tenants. Pete, we're happy to have you. Thanks for joining us, and how are you today?
1: I'm good today. Thank you for having me, Ash.
2: It's our pleasure, man. Hey, Pete, before we get started, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now?
1: Sure. So I got into real estate probably 20 years ago with property management. From there, I realized that I, I really enjoyed the commercial side of doing uh, property management and, and leasing and things like that. Got on with CMC Properties about 10 years ago to this day, and my forte is mixed-use development. And we specialize in taking sleepy downtowns that are cool, but not really a lot of nightlife. And we revive them by bringing some of the best restaurants to their downtowns and and very high-end apartments. So it's a fun process and it's a fun thing to do. And and just to see the retail tenants come in there and grow, and and it's, it's incredible to see how it all takes place.
2: Pete, that sleepy downtown part, how do you identify the next hotspot? And you guys have had some big wins Is it demographics? Is it statistics? Is it data? Is it gut feel? How do you find the next hotspot before anybody else?
1: Sure. What we typically look for is a downtown. that has historic buildings. For instance, Hamilton, Ohio. You talk about a risk or something that we didn't know. Hamilton had a very bad reputation. It just wasn't the best. There's vacant stores everywhere. No cool restaurants to eat at, anything like that. So it all starts with what we look at is the city manager is a big part of it. We interview different cities like that. They have to have historic downtowns. They have to be near water or near a bike trail, something that's fun, fitness. We kind of want it to be healthy atmosphere next to a park, things like that. So Hamilton, Ohio, we met with them. Actually, they came after us and, and said, Hey, would you set up a meeting so we can talk to you about Hamilton? We he's like, I don't know, maybe. And we did. And what happened is they had an old hospital site that was right on the river, pretty much, and said, would you take a chance? This was before the Spooky Nook Sports Complex announced they were coming. He said there could be a chance that they come to Hamilton. This was probably six, seven years ago. So when the president of our company, Jim Cohen, asked me if I could get high-end retail tenants there, restaurants, I looked at him and said, are you insane? (laughs) But he knew I could do it, and I said, if you take a chance on it, I believe in you, so we will definitely get it done. So... We did take a chance. We got the land from the city. We bought it from them. And what happened is we put a development in of, it's called the Markham. It is a mixed use development, about 120 apartments. The important thing about doing so many apartments, if you do about 120 to 130, you can operate the apartments with one manager and one maintenance guy. So that's pretty big. And anytime you open something, the biggest expense is going to be salaries. So that's why we stay around that number. And then what we did is we had the city to get our first tenant, which was Tano's. And he is based out of Loveland, Ohio. It's like a four-star Italian restaurant. We asked the city to put in the kitchen for Mr. Tano. And he said, well, if I to have a city put in a kitchen, I'm going to move there. So when that happened, all the puzzle pieces kind of fell into place. He was our first tenant. People were like, why is Tano's coming to Hamilton? And then it was kind of a domino effect. From there, it still was pretty hard to get other tenants. I would talk to brokers. They would laugh at me. And then all of a sudden, Spooky Nook, the biggest sports complex in the United States, third largest in the world, announced they are coming to Hamilton, and everything changed. When we opened our apartments, they are 100% leased out. We are getting downtown prices that are unheard of in Hamilton, and we have a waiting list. All the retail is full, and they are doing better numbers than they've done in any other place that they have restaurants in. So pretty interesting.
2: Pete, what comes first? recruiting residential tenants for the apartments or getting commercial tenants in there first?
1: The trend that we have seen is that people are going away from the downtown scene. Don't get me wrong. People love living in downtown, but as you get a little bit more established, you have the first kid, second kid, people want to eat, drink, live, and play all within the same neighborhood. So we took the trend and we went out to the suburbs. And what happens is, of course, you got to have tenants. That's where the money maker is, are the apartments. But tenants aren't going to come there unless you offer them something besides a rooftop patio and a pool or things like that. So what I do is I go out and every Wednesday, I go on Facebook, I get on Google and I see what people are talking about, what's the hot spots, And we do a dinner, myself and then a friend or myself. You've actually come with me a couple of times and we just try to prospect from there. From there, I get a relationship with the owner's. I bring them out to the site and then we just stay in contact. And then I convince them. I don't know how sometimes I do it, but we convince them to come out there and take a chance and it's usually a home run. So that's pretty much what we do.
2: Pete, how can beginner investors or maybe somebody that's in the multifamily arena or starting out in commercial, how can they ride your coattails? How can they get in on these sleepy towns before they hit?
1: So the biggest thing is you need to approach people. Don't be afraid to send an email, make a call, go on some of these towns that you think the person's going to know it best is the person that's from that town. If you have a town that is just in dire need of something, but you're seeing it change, or maybe there's one that's got a great river view or just could be very, very nice or, or is up and coming. Sometimes you don't, you take a chance and then you make them up and coming like we did in Hamilton. But the biggest thing is to look at people's city plans. A lot of them are online. You can kind of see uh, jobs are coming there. You can kind of see what they have set for the future, but a good city manager is by far the, the best way to start. And then look for a town that you kind of know, and you could say, God, I wish we had a restaurant here and instead of driving five miles out of our city and, and spending money here and see if that's something that would be an interest to you. So the biggest thing is we pick sites and, and everything we touch is pretty much turned So it's just about the person that's from that city and and just kind of exploring.
2: I love that outlook. So not only look at all the data in the city, but get a feel for the vibe of the city from the residents and all the people that are there. In terms of meeting with a city manager, and I've learned this from you, would you recommend that investors, whether they own one building, maybe they're prospecting one commercial building, are they able to get a meeting with city managers?
1: Here's what you'd be surprised about. The biggest thing is, is city managers love to be in a spotlight. So if I'm an investor and I just bought a cool building, say in Milford, and it's got a downstairs or an upstairs that could be a great restaurant, what I would do is reach out to the city manager and the mayor. And I would, one, introduce myself. There's so many people out there that just buy a building. They don't know anybody in the city. They put a restaurant in. They have no ties. They don't know anybody. And what happens is, yeah, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But if you go in and actually sit down with the city manager and the mayor and say, hey, what would your city like to see here? What would you guys like to see here? And then you guys make a friendship and a partnership almost. Then you can also ask the city, do you have any incentives for a new tenant coming in? Are there any tax abatements? Are there any type of grants that we can give to help get a better tenant here? That stuff is huge. Um, kitchens, if you don't know, if you don't have a kitchen in your space, they're hundred dollars to $500,000. Not many restaurant people, they might own two or three restaurants. It's hard for them to pay for a build out like that. So the city can help with 50, 60, 100,000. You'd be surprised, but they would welcome that. A lot of people may be shy to do that, but I highly suggest you do that. Make a relationship, ask them what they need, and then it's going to do wonders for you in the future.
2: Yeah. And it's on my due diligence list anywhere we go. If it's local, we try to attend a city council meeting, but we always try to reach out to council members, city manager, mayor. And it's so important. It's amazing. Even a little facade grant, a matching grant, I mean, that could be $10,000, $20,000 for people that otherwise would have spent the money out of pocket. Do you also go to city council meetings?
1: We go to city council meetings sometimes. The biggest times we go there are when we have got a development deal. And then we have to go to the city council meetings because you'd be surprised. For instance, in Mason, Ohio, we were approved by the city to do a mixed use development in our downtown The problem was everybody loved our product. Everybody loved what we did. We asked the tenants, what do you guys want to see here? We didn't just say, we're going to put this here, that there. We asked them, how tall buildings are you okay with? A lot of times people get freaked out. You're going to put a five-story apartment building, things like that. So we really had community kind of councils and we would buy pizza and stuff like that and just get their input. So we got approved by the city council to do this build. And then all of a sudden the town of Mason came together and they wanted it on a ballot for a vote. And they voted against it, not because of us, but because the traffic situation into downtown currently. And they said, it's already crazy, crazy to get cars in and out. How are we going to do this with another 200 people and dropped into our downtown? So you just got to really be involved with city council meetings at that point. But sometimes we try to stay away from them. The political stuff we try to stay out of.
2: Yeah. Interesting. So you've got to win the hearts and minds of the residents as well. That's important.
1: That's very important. I remember somebody asked me one time, it was some commercial property, and they said, what do you think about this tenant coming in? I said, I'll be honest with you. I said, and I won't mention the tenant or what type, but it was a use that I just thought was horrible for what was in that city. I go, I would hold off. You're making money. You're doing fine. If you put a tenant like that in, it's going to turn, it's going to make the strip mall go down, down, down. So they listened to me and almost six months later, they landed a very high in ice cream place there. So my suggestion would be don't take the first person that's approved, pick and choose your tenants that'll be an asset to the city and the community.
2: Yeah. So Pete, right now, everybody thinks there's a retail apocalypse. A lot of investors are afraid to get into commercial real estate. What are your thoughts on that?
1: I say I haven't seen it slow down at all. As a matter of fact, when I'm done with this meeting, I'm meeting in the city of Monroe, Ohio to talk to them about new development. We lease stuff. No problem. We're doing high end pizza places. We're doing taco play. You name it. The places that could go anywhere in the country are coming to our developments. I haven't seen it slow down at all. Now, retail is definitely slowed down. Everybody knows that. But if you go out and recruit these people and talk to them and let them know, hey, this is going to be the new spot and just convince them people come and we haven't had an issue with that at all.
2: And Pete, suburban downtowns versus city center downtowns. So, like a downtown Cincinnati versus one of those suburbs. What's going on right now?
1: So where's all the action at? Sure. The action is that downtown, for instance, Cincinnati, one reason we don't develop in downtown Cincinnati, and then I'll get to the action. It's very hard to get things approved. It's very hard to get inspectors. It'll take typically six months to get you open in downtowns. They take almost double that. So we try to stay away from that, but the trends that we're seeing are everybody is going to suburbia and mixed use living. Right now, the apartment market is insane. People that are coming up, the younger generation, they don't buy right away. They like to live in certain areas to see what they like. Our apartments are 100% full. We have a development in Lebanon, Ohio. We haven't even fully opened it and we've rented every single unit except for two and two buildings are just now opening. So The suburban life is where people want to be. They want to be able to have that downtown feel, have a drink, eat, and be home in 30 seconds. So that's the big thing. Downtowns are still great, but a lot of people are going to the suburban living.
2: Yeah, and I think that's a post-COVID world where we got used to not driving 30 minutes to an hour to go downtown. It's just let's go to our local suburban downtown. And like you said, all the bars and restaurants, all the actions popped up in those suburban downtowns.
1: It's kind of neat when you go to a restaurant and they know who you are, or you see your neighbor, or or maybe you see the mayor sitting there versus going to a place downtown where you know nobody and you're just another person to them that's going to be paying the check. So it's kind of a neat experience. Plus who doesn't want to have a beer and be home in two seconds? You know what I mean?
2: That's a great point. And Pete, for somebody that's
0: trying to fill vacancies, we'll get back to the show. But first, some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. It's no secret that everyone is trying to find the recession-proof investment right now. What if you could invest in one of the most recession-resilient asset classes of the last 25 years with one of the best teams in the US? Self-storage is that asset class and Reliant Real Estate Management is that team. Reliant Real Estate Management is the 17th largest storage operator. They have sold over $1 billion in self-storage assets and have lost no investor principal with the average project-level IRR of 33% in the last three years. Right now, you can be one of the first to invest in their next fund at ReliantFund4.com. Fund 4 is a $100 million equity fund with seven properties already identified to close before the end of 2022. If you're an accredited investor, visit ReliantFund4.com to download the investment summary and schedule a call with Reliance experience team. That's ReliantFund4.com, R-E-L-I-A-N-T-F-U-N-D-F-O-U-R.com. I'd like to introduce you to my good friends over at PassiveInvesting.com, a private equity real estate firm based out of the Carolinas. PassiveInvesting.com makes it easy for you to start investing in real estate. Investor guide that outlines the seven red flags for passive apartment and self storage investing. Visit passiveinvesting.com forward slash red flags to download that PDF now. That's passiveinvesting.com forward slash red flags.
2: What's the best way to go at it? Do they do it themselves? Do they enlist the help of a broker? And at what point does it make sense to only go with a broker if it's a 1500 square foot space? Is it really worth a broker's time?
1: I will never take money away from a broker, but I would say be very careful with who you get. Make sure you know the broker, make sure that they're personal with the people, and you got to really like somebody, just like when you go to get a real estate broker for your house. A lot of times we try not to use brokers because, one, we're the developers and we have to pay them a big commission. So if we don't use a broker, then we can put that more towards the tenant's build-out. So it's a benefit for us, but if you only have one space, your best bet is... Honestly, I do Facebook a lot, social media. I'll do TikTok videos, well, my daughter will for me. But all that stuff works, and what happens is somebody's going to see it. Of course, you use the signs, and you're going to get calls. I just would say don't take the first person that calls. Make sure that you, you kind of wait it out and see what kind of tenants you can get in there. Now, a broker is great to have if you've got a huge development and you're just busy as can be and you don't have time. There are fantastic brokers out there, but I would definitely interview three to four, And find somebody that clicks with you.
2: And how do you qualify them? What interview questions do you ask? Because I would imagine they're all going to say that they've got great contacts. They have all these people in their pocket. How do you really siphon through them?
1: What I would do is I would ask for some people they represent. And if it's somebody that's not a chain restaurant, I would go to that restaurant and go on like a Tuesday or Wednesday where it's not crazy busy and then ask to speak to the owner and try to catch them and say, hey, I just want to let you know I'm thinking about hiring Mr. Whatever. What do you think about him? And that will tell you a lot. Also, if a guy has 90,000 signs out all over the city, that doesn't mean he's the best realtor. That just means he's busy. And that means that your bigger spots are going to get more attention than your 1,400 square spots. So that guy that's popular as can be that you see all over doesn't mean he's the best. He might have a lot on his plate, so he's not going to pay attention to your 1,200 square foot T-Mobile guy that wants to see it. So I would say be careful with Using the big shots and just really try to fill the guy out. I mean, take him to dinner if you have to. You got to remember, these guys are going to be the ones representing you. So if they do something that offends somebody, you could lose a very nice tenant because that person didn't like the broker that you hired.
2: Man, that's great advice. I always thought the big rock stars are the ones that have the giant science all over the city, but that's a great point.
1: The giant rock stars are the guys that bring in the big deals. But what you'll realize too is they also get a little, I don't want to, stereotype is typical. Every broker, because there are some that are rock stars that are insanely awesome. But what i found is that I've had a friend of mine make a call for us a place and the guy just kept blowing them off and blowing them off because I don't think it was worth his time. To me, that's not the person I'd want representing my store or myself.
2: Yeah. What mistakes do you see a lot of people making with commercial investments?
1: I think what a lot of people have to understand is if you're going to do an investment, one, make sure that you're doing it in a place that people are going to come to check the city plans, make sure there's jobs coming, make sure there's people there to support what you're going to buy. If you can get a great deal, then that's another story, but you definitely want to look into the city itself. Talk to the chief of police, talk to the fire department, just see what the feel is, the vibe is. And if you're going to make an investment, especially in a downtown or something, I would set up a meeting and ask them what their feel is and, and You don't want to go and buy something that's been an eyesore or that people have a bad reputation, like this is a bad spot, because then it's going to be a hassle and just not the best investment. But if you get involved and and see what everybody's doing and what they like, that's kind of what I would do before I'd buy something.
2: Yeah, Pete, I've got to ask you, in terms of inflation, with apartments, they're all one-year leases, and you can raise rents to market every year. With commercial, when you get tied into a 10-year lease with renewals, Historically, that was a great thing that property's worth more, that lease is worth more, but it seems like today you don't want a lot of renewals and the 3% annual increases are nothing compared to the 10, 12% that some apartment owners are getting. What would you recommend people do with commercial leases today in terms of yearly increases and renewals?
1: What I would do is we typically do a five-year lease to start off with, the 10-year, it's just hard to tell what's going to happen. Our project in Lebanon doubled over the three years. So we signed a tenant at 1850 a square foot, and now we're going to be losing money on that retail spot. The good thing is the apartments make up for that, but now we have one space left that's going to 29 bucks a square foot. So within two years, you can see the difference. So you got to be kind of careful. There is a, a thing called CPI increase, and what that does is kind of takes the market at that time, and that's what the increase is. It's kind of like an average of the market inflation, things like that. And we would put that into a lot of our options. But if you're going to do a five-year lease, I suggest doing something, depending on if you're going to give the tenant money or not, doing something at one is going to help the tenant out here, but then doing gradual increases. When I say gradual, let's say you start them out at 20 a square foot year one, I would go up 22 to 23, make it worth your while, get your TI money back, which is tenant improvement money. And then on your increases, do CPI or do a 10% increase per year.
2: Here's the magic question. How much tenant improvement allowance do you give a tenant?
1: Well, that is a good question. We typically deliver our spaces in white box. We never do the air conditioning units. We make them do all the duct work, the air conditioning units. We even have it to where if you have your plumbing and everything ready to be installed at the time that we're pouring our slab, we'll pour your slab for free. If you don't, that's going to be on you. We just leave the slab not poured. So TI money is a thing. You've got to look at their financials. We make everybody fill out an application and tells us what their assets are. We just got to make sure that they have the money to pay for the TI, pay for the build-out. And I guess what I would say is typically, depending on the tenant, 50 to 100,000, we've gone as high as 300,000. But those are also pretty high qualified financial tenants. If it's some guy that's coming in and wants to open up a small dance studio or something, you got to understand what TI is. TI doesn't cover your flooring, doesn't cover your signage. A lot of these people think that they can get this money and use it for whatever. It's for improvements to the space. I would try to shoot for the lowest, <laughs> but you don't want to lose the tenant either. So it just depends. If you've got a, a Gavion ride Rye that wants to rent your space, I'm going to give them whatever they want because yeah. they're going to stay and they're going to be a good tenant.
2: Yeah. And Pete, you've got 20 years of experience in real estate. What's one thing you wished you did differently?
1: I'll tell you what I wish I'd done earlier in life is been more genuine to clients, followed up with clients. I started doing that about 10 years ago, and those clients that I put into our developments, what I do is I check in on them. Most brokers, once they lease to you, they, you never hear from them again. What I do is I try to support them. I try to go out to their, their restaurants, bring people, and then I always, when we do a new development, as soon as we sign the paperwork with a city, I called every one of my former or current tenants and asked them if they'd be interested in this new development site, give them first choice. One, we already know their track record too. They get to know about stuff before anybody else does. And if I could go back, I would have done that from day one, build relationships with your clients.
2: Yeah. That's incredible. Pete, I try to convince a lot of multifamily, a lot of residential people to invest in commercial, whether it's retail warehouse, industrial medical, What's your advice to those people that are in their lane of residential and think commercials too difficult, too expensive?
1: Well, I manage 300 office spaces. It's called the perfect small office. What we did is we kind of have the niche on office space. I have a waiting list for offices. We have been leased out 100% for the last three years and we have 27 warehouses across the street that I manage. Also, I have a waiting list for those. I would say if you find an office building, And you find warehouse space, buy, 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 because there's nothing out there. A lot of people don't understand the whole commercial thing. What you have to understand is when I sign a lease, I'm only responsible for the outside of the building minus the air conditioning. The tenant that signs in a warehouse lease, they're responsible for everything on the inside, plus their AC units. So it's actually less money than you would think because the tenants are responsible for a lot of the stuff. It's less risk. People are always going to need space. They're always going to need an office. We do small offices, so it's a little bit different from your downtown corporation stuff. And I haven't seen it slow down in probably five years.
2: Pete, if you lost all of your wealth and I picked you up and put you in some random city in the U.S., how would you get back on your feet?
1: The first thing I would do is try to get back into real estate somehow. Real estate seems to be the only thing that you never lose money in, and it's always in need. So what I would get back on my feet would do it. I'd find probably the most successful person in the town. Somebody that kind of came from a background that maybe they started with nothing and made their way. And I would try to introduce myself to them and say, give me a chance and I guarantee you're gonna keep me. And that's what I do. I try to surround myself with people that, not so much wealthy, but people that are just good people and have done a lot of good things. And and that's how I try to get back on my feet. So awesome.
2: Yeah, Pete, are you ready for the best ever
1: lightning round? I am ready. All right, Pete, what's
2: the best ever book you recently
1: read? Best ever book I recently read. I can't lie. It was Mike Tyson's autobiography and it was great, but I did listen to it on Bluetooth and I didn't read it. So just give you a heads up.
2: <laughs> did you watch his standup that he did that Spike Lee directed?
1: I did not, but I heard oh, it was very incredible. good. Incredible!
2: Yeah. He did it out in Vegas. Hard to find now, but yeah, that was incredible. Pete, what's the best ever way you like to give back?
1: What I like to do is I like to take new brokers that are younger guys coming out. I like to take them under my wing. I have a good friend, son, just took his test to become a broker. And I like to show them what the do's and do nots are. Let them know about ethics and and just how to treat people and let them see another side of instead of just selling houses. To me, commercial is sexy. It's exciting. It's just more of a fun thing to do. And I like to take younger kids like that, that are up and coming and just kind of show them around and, and, and help them to grow their career.
2: Yeah. And Pete, what is your best real estate investing advice ever?
1: I would say the best real estate investing advice would be if somebody has something for sale that is close to a highway near stuff, I guess I would say buy, buy, buy. If somebody has a house that is mom's house and she says, we will get rid of this for 25 grand. It needs a lot of work, buy it because all that stuff is going to be fixable and you are going to make a ton of money. So anytime you see a deal out there, try to snatch it up, do your research, but that's what I would do.
2: Pete, how can the best ever listeners reach out to you?
1: They can find us on CMC Properties' website, the perfect small office, Springdale, and they Google CMC Properties. You'll find numerous articles that we've had on us for our developments.
2: Pete, I got to thank you, man. In our short time, you gave us a wealth of knowledge, how to find great properties, how to qualify brokers and tenants, how to interact with people in the community people at the city and how important that is. So thank you for taking time out of your day and sharing all of that with us today.
1: Ash, it was a pleasure. And as always, you owe me a drink.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait for that. Best ever listeners. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review, share the podcast with someone that you think can benefit from it. Also follow, subscribe, and have a best ever day.